This, this is the second, second Story Podcast. I failed Spanish in high school. Twice. Foreign languages never clicked in my brain. It was never something that came naturally. As such, I never really tried. I just tossed my Spanish homework in a pile with my math and my science while I cracked open another fantasy novel and listened to a Celine Dion CD I got from the library. I was somehow able to scrape by my third time through, presumably because my tiny Spanish teacher felt bad for me and thought, well, he's seen Stand and Deliver three times now. That's probably good enough. In this week's Second Story podcast, Jess Kadish serenades us with a beautiful bilingual tale that makes me wish to God that I had tried harder. Jess is a Second Story company member and an active director, actor, and dramaturg here in Chicago. With her story titled Second Languages, Second Story proudly presents the lovely and talented Jess Kadish. Ciao, Mami Vivi. Mami Vivi is my host mom in Buenos Aires, where I'm living again in 2010 after having studied there at university last year. She looks up from beneath her blonde curls. ¿A dónde vas? I think she can tell I'm nervous. I always am before an audition. She's in the kitchen preparing her mate, which she always takes with a lump of sugar the size of a plum. It's only 5.30 in the afternoon, but she's already in her faded coral-colored robe and slippers after a long workday. This is her routine. Home, PJs, mate. Always in that order, and whatever you need to tell her can wait until it's done. Just a quick audition, mommy. Don't worry, I'll still be home in time for dinner. Which I know is what she's really asking, and since we don't eat until at least nine, I'm not worried. She motions to me to come give her a kiss on the cheek, which means a lot since she generally requires an ironclad personal space bubble until her mate is at least three quarters gone. Suerte, Jessita. I ride the elevator down nine floors and step out into the hum of what I have come to consider my second city, Buenos Aires. They call it the Paris of South America, but to me it's the Chicago. People from every corner of the earth. Buses you have to wait eons for, but will eventually take you where you need to go. And all that water directly to the east, not Lake Michigan, but the Rio de la Plata with the city sprawling to the north, west, and south, unmarked borders sharply splitting neighborhoods. And the theater. Hundreds of independent theaters tucked between shops, down alleyways and basements. That's why I'm back. I walk down Calle Rivadavia with pre-audition jitters, wrapping my jacket more tightly around me against the mid-July chill. It's the southern hemisphere, so July means winter. Not like a Chicago winter, but more like a Chicago April, uh, chilly and gray and spitting rain. Under my breath, I run through the industry words I always forget. Tras bastidores, backstage, estreno, opening night, guion, script. I reach the address. It's an apartment building, not a theater, which strikes me as a little strange, though not enough to be worrisome since I've seen this kind of setup more than once in the art for art's sake acting world. They did disclose in the initial email, after all, there's no financial compensation, but it's great experience. You know, the usual. (laughs) 
Ringing the buzzer, I am met almost instantly by a thin, nondescript woman in a turtleneck who calls herself Natalia. Hola, Chessy, venite conmigo. She's smiling as she motions for me to follow her upstairs, but there is a kind of intrinsic fatigue about her. Her surface good cheer, a thin veil over something heavy, like her bones have cement mixed in with the marrow. She opens the door to the apartment and lets me in past her, pulling the door shut behind us. As I hear the lock engage, I remember that in this country, doors lock from the inside. In other words, once you're in, whoever's place it is has to let you out. The place looks like a teenage boy's room that hasn't been cleaned or redecorated since the early 1980s. The walls are covered with photos of girls in various states of undress, some yellowed with age, all with jagged edges as if hastily torn out of magazines. There's dust on everything, thick dust. The light inside is dim. I hear giggles across the room. When my eyes adjust, I see a group of girls getting up from the living room rug to leave. They are wearing much less clothing than I am. Heels. Ciao, guaque besitos! One lingers a little longer, kissing a big beefy man on the lips. She looks about 18. He's at least 45. He's wearing a tank top that exposes enormous biceps. Some muscle, but mostly fat. Lots of ink. Scars up and down his arms, intertwined with the tattoos. Sitting in a rickety wooden chair at the edge of the rug, a king on his throne. This must be Waquero, the director. Sentate, Chessy. Natalia gestures to a small, round kitchen table with three chairs. I sit in one. She takes the one next to me. Waquero rises with great effort from his throne and settles in the third chair, across from us. He talks about his philosophy of directing, the relevance of theater in society, and what he's looking for in an assistant director slash understudy, which is what it turns out they're considering me for. I find myself agreeing with him, writing down quotable things he says. I almost forget about the dust everywhere. He shows me a poster for the show. Six girls, all lined up, dressed like some sort of animal, uh, cats, I think, like they've all gone to Party City and bought the same sexy kitten costume for $7.99. Son muy sexy, viste? Unwilling to look up, I keep my eyes fixed on the poster. Natalia, tráeme un vinito. Natalia, who has been silent this whole time, just nodding, immediately jumps to her feet like someone's flipped a switch on her back. She grabs a bottle of wine and a fingerprint-smudged glass. ¿Querés? He asks me. No gracias. But he drinks the wine. And drinks the wine. And drinks the wine. As our conversation continues, he pours back glass after glass as though it's water. By the fourth or fifth, his thoughts become notably less coherent. His wisdom turns to bullshit and then to gibberish. He asks me about my life, my acting, why I came to Argentina. He asks if I have a boyfriend. I say no, a girlfriend. Automatically, because on principle, I don't lie about this. No te creo, sos tan linda. 
No matter what language it's in, that line about being too pretty to be a lesbian that every femme on earth has heard a thousand times always makes me want to punch the man that's saying it. Because it's almost always a man in the Adam's apple. (laughs) I don't believe you. Show me a picture then. Well, of course I have a picture of my girlfriend in my wallet, and I'm already pissed. Pissed enough that my rage is louder than my gut feeling that this is a really creepy request. So I pull it out, more out of defiance than anything else. See, si, es hermosa viste, now you believe me? And before I know what's happening, he reaches across the table and snatches the picture with his sticky wine fingers, pulls his cell phone out of his pocket, and tries to take a picture of it. I lunge for it and grab it back, heart suddenly pounding. Basta, Shah. Enough already. I look at him, at his unfocused, drunken eyes, at Natalia, at her blank stare, at the door, still locked. (laughs) He laughs and slams the empty glass on the table next to the bottle, which I realize now is also empty. Okay, (laughs) y ahora la audición. And for some reason, my brain hears the word audition and just goes into performance mode. I know, this was my chance. Why didn't I take that moment to say thanks but no thanks and insist on leaving? I'm actually no longer interested. More than anything else, my 21-year-old self was determined to prove that I was a good actor. And I had no reference point for this situation. I mean, good actors don't just walk out of auditions because they feel uncomfortable. They work. And so my ambition swallowed my instincts whole. I stand and stretch. ¿Cuál monólogo preferís? No, no, no. Una escena. Algo de improv. Okay, uh, no monologue, an improvised scene. Uh, Great, I can do that. But with who? Con Nati. Como que ustedes están en casa. Como esposas. Uh, uh, Wives, at home. Uh, Right, got it. I process this in the same way that I process direction for a thousand other improv scenes, as though he's told me that the givens are that at some point you must whisper in sync and count to ten, Except this time, you must do it with a brick in your throat. We begin the scene, and Natalia is somehow, suddenly, alive. She's a terrible actor. Like, imagine the worst telenovela you have ever seen. (laughs) But she's fascinating to watch, like a child who's been put in time out and has just been allowed outside to play again. Then she kisses me. Not just a peck because the director told us to do this kiss, a real kiss. She puts her hands on my hips and her tongue in my mouth and I'm so startled that I open my eyes. And that's when I see the look on Waquero's face, a hungry look. I freeze. It takes every ounce of physical strength I have not to throw up I swallow the bile rising in my throat and pull away. My voice is faint and comes from somewhere I've never heard before. Basta, sha. 
There's a curious element to operating in your second language that leaves you both more vulnerable and more able to protect yourself. You doubt your ability to read a situation effectively. There must be something you're missing of something they know that you don't. But once you cross the line into that bone-deep place of something is wrong, get me out of here, that, since it's happening inside your core, happens in the language closest to your instincts. So it doesn't fight for space with your frantic negotiations of the situation at hand. It remains instead a pulsing undercurrent beneath your attempts at a calm, pues ya me tengo que ir, a driving force reminding you that although your words sound like you're just thanking them for your hospitality, you're actually running for your life. Pues ya me tengo que ir, Jesse Benite. Waquero motions for me to come to him. Almost grateful for an excuse to get away from Natalia, I do. Me duele mucho. Sos una persona tan buena. Necesito tu buena onda. I just look at him. I have no idea what he means either. <laughs> he clarifies. Put your hands on my scars. I comply. The instant my hands make contact with his arm, his free hand snaps shut over mine to hold them in place. He begins to tremble, slowly at first, then more powerfully. The wine bottle rattles on the table, the hula girl on the label rocking back and forth. He moans and shouts. I cannot understand a word. His eyes roll back in his head. I try to move my hands, but he holds them tighter. And for just a second, I look at him and I think, maybe he does just need some good energy. I almost buy it. And it's the second I catch myself thinking this that I snap. Basta. Sha. I pull away sharply. I turn away from Waquero and address Natalia. I am leaving. Take me downstairs. Now. And just like that, Waquero mumbles a goodbye. And something else I can't decipher, staring into space, smacking his empty bottle on the table over and over. I am silent on the way down, staring straight ahead. Natalia offers a half-hearted, he drinks too much. Although I'm not looking at her, I can hear that cement settling in her bones again. Despite everything, that sound hurts. I want to turn and look at her. I will myself not to. I don't. She opens the door to the building and lets me outside. And maybe I say goodbye, but I don't really hear it. My knees buckle and I fall to the ground. I remain there for what feels like forever, but it's probably just a few seconds. My forehead pressed against the dirty ground as if in prayer. For the first time in my life, I am acutely aware of what physical freedom tastes like. Thank you, I whisper to the sidewalk. Thank you. It's only 9.30, but feels like 3 in the morning when I finally unlock the door to apartment 9A at Chanchores, Yurivadavia. Mami Vivi is noticeably worried. Turns out I am late for dinner after all. Chesita, ¿qué te pasó? 
She pulls me to her and wraps me in that coral robe, and I'm getting tears and snot all over her, and I tell her, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, and she tells me, don't be sorry, sentate, mi amor, have some mate. (laughs) And I tell her everything that happened in English, because it's too close to translate yet. And though she doesn't understand a word, she just holds me. And into her sleeve, I whisper, Basta, sha. Basta, sha. That was Jess Kadish. What was the moment you understood the power of your freedom? The moment you fought for your safety in foreign surroundings? That story featured sound design from Eric Hazen, with curation from Bobby Budrisky and performance direction from Liz Rice. Second Story is a volunteer-based organization, and as such, we greatly rely upon donations from our audience. Remember Second Story while you prepare for the holidays. Whether it's your time or financial support, Second Story is greatly appreciative of your gift. You can always reach me for a comment on this or any other Second Story podcast at ozzy at secondstory.com. Be sure to follow Second Story on Twitter at Second Story or on Instagram at Second Story Chicago to get behind-the-scenes action of our curation process. Second Story podcasts are brought to you in part by the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the City Arts Program, the Chicago Community Foundation, part of the Chicago Community Trust, and the Arts Work Fund. Second Story podcasts are produced by Eric Hazen, with special thanks to Sherry Pentamone and C.P. Chang. I'm Ozzie Totten, and this is Second Story. Second Story.